My name is Art Druckenmiller. I'm happy to be here this morning with Rick Bontham Ministry. It has been a privilege of, this is my fourth uh, talk from the Book of Acts, and I'm excited about being here today. Pause for a moment of prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning, and I pray that the um, words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart might be acceptable in your, in your sight today. Oh, Lord, my strength, my redeemer. In Jesus' name. The, um, this is my fourth uh, talk on the, uh, from the book of Acts. And it's my second one on specifically on the Apostle Paul. The uh, first one uh, that I did, I think, last week, starting out with his uh, conversion and then talking about uh, different ministries, that, uh, different opportunities that he did, a little bit about his mission trips. This week, I'm specifically uh, going to, um, well, we're going to talk about his conversion again for a few minutes, but specifically looking at uh, how Paul ministered in the time of his so-called trial, starting in uh, in uh, Acts 21, really. So, um, first of all, I want to go to um, Acts chapter 9 and review a little bit of a couple of th- things that I want to f- focus on in terms of his Conversion. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Um, and this is about Paul. He's on his way to Damascus to uh, uh, arrest Christians. And I'm starting at verse 3. It says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Um, the one thing I mentioned last week, is, to my knowledge, is it's the only... Um, conversion uh, that was brought about directly by the Lord himself and every other conversion in the book, uh, every other ministry is actually through other instruments. But uh, Paul, uh, certainly, this certainly got his attention and he responded very quickly. So now I want to jump down to uh, verses um, yeah, 15 and 16. Um and this is uh, the, uh, the, comment, uh, the conversation that Ananias uh, is having with the, the Lord. Uh, Ananias, the Lord has come to Ananias and told him he needs to go and minister to Paul. So, of course, right away, Ananias wonders what's going on here because he knows Paul is out to, um, to uh, cause havoc with Christians. But uh, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel, speaking of Paul. Go, for Paul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias goes. Uh, Paul has been uh, by himself for three days, blind and not eating or drinking. Ananias comes and um, delivers the message from the Lord. And it tells us that uh, Paul is uh, uh, saved. He's baptized, filled with the Spirit right there. 
And then um, I want to read a couple more verses here. And that is, uh, uh, I'm going to read 20 through 25. So it's just incredible the turnaround of Paul here as a result of meeting the Lord personally. For in 20 it says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this not he who, who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, uh, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, that's verse 22. Look how fast it changes. Verse 23 says, Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched him to the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Um, I read that this morning just for a couple of things. First of all, it tells us, uh, Ananias, the Lord told Ananias that Paul would be used, would be his instrument to speak to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Hebrews. And um, when we get into uh, chapter 21, as he finishes up, as Paul finishes up his last three mission uh, mission trips, we really see that he's going to be presenting the gospel a number of times uh, to to the men of high places, both the Hebrew authorities as well as to two kings, to one king and two two governors. Uh, so this is his opportunity to really stand before kings. And we always think about Paul being on trial, but Paul's not, really not on trial because everything, just like Jesus, everything that they try to accuse Paul of, he's not guilty, but he really takes the opportunity and is God's instrument to preach the, uh, bring the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to um uh, to every audience he's, he's in front of. And the other thing I want to notice as we uh, go from this passage is the fact how fast change. First, Paul is on his way to Damascus to um, to um, arrest Christians. So at that point in time, Christians are really Paul's enemy. But by the time we get to verse 23, it's turned around because now um, – it's no longer the Christians, at least at that point in time, it's no longer the Christians, but it's the Jewish people um, who haven't ex- accepted the Lord or really have become his enemy. They want to kill him. And so he ends up uh, escaping um, Damascus um, by being let down through a window on the city city wall and going on his way. So that was quite an experience for him uh, there in, in Damascus. Uh, Paul had three missionary trips. And as we we come to what we're going to talk about today, he's finishing up his last missionary mission trip. And of course, his fourth fourth mission trip was a mission trip in no return because his fourth mission trip, effectively, his trip to Rome was really a mission trip from which he did not return, at least not in the flesh. Um. What I really want to bring out this morning is um, how Paul responded to Jesus. And his mission really is to preach Jesus, especially the resurrection. And to look at how 
Paul, how he, how he determines his direction, what he's going to do based on what he hears from the Lord. And sometimes it's clear. And sometimes it's words actually spoken through others. Um, that Paul has to decide if he's heard, if they're actually heard from, the, or has he supposed to do something based on what others have heard from the Lord. And um, the other thing is how much grace is involved in his life. And the real lesson to us is how much grace encompasses our our lives. Grace truly is the uh, just the the enormous, uh, un, un, without comprehension, the power of God in all our lives, and how we're 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 drawing on His grace every day of our lives. Um, Paul, uh, this is chapter 21 now. Paul returns from his trip, his, his last missionary trip. He, um, and of course, we're, we're, in, we're in the Mediterranean. He's coming back towards uh, Jerusalem. And his first stop is there at, at Tyre, which is north um, uh, north of um, Caesarea. Tyre is actually part of Syria. And while he's at Tyre, uh, he's there, I think, for a week. Uh, he's told by one person, um, you really shouldn't go go to Jerusalem. There's trouble in Jerusalem for you there. Uh, but Paul says, no, he's, he's going to go on. So he, then the next stop is Caesarea, which is um, on the coast northwest from Jerusalem. And he stays there in, in the home of Philip the Evangelist. And while he's there, a prophet by the name of Agabus comes. And we've heard of Agabus before because he prophesied back in August 11, excuse me, <laughs> Acts 11. That uh, that there would be famine, and there was a famine in that time. So his word is is considered good. And so Agabus sees Paul, and he takes Paul's uh, belt, if you will, and wraps it around himself, and says, "This is what's going to happen to you uh, when you'll be bound when you go to Jerusalem." So all the people there, of course, they believe this is where the Lord is telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul says, "No, I, I know there's trouble ahead for me." But I'm prepared to die for the Lord, and so I must go on to Jerusalem. So that's the first case where he's, uh, well, these two cases, both in, in Tyre and then in, in Caesarea, where uh, he's heard words that one would say, well, that's contrary to what you want to do. But Paul says, no, the Lord's just warning me what's ahead of me, and I must go on because I'm prepared to, to die for the name of Jesus. Um so from Caesarea, he goes to Jerusalem, and when he first gets to Jerusalem, he's met, uh, and by this time, the church is very large. We have no idea how many are in it, probably, without exaggeration, it's probably thousands of people. And when Paul, Paul and his party first come, they, well, they are welcomed. But um, when um, the next day, when Paul actually goes to meet the elders, they welcome him, but you can tell right away from the words that are recorded for us in Acts that uh, um, they're not so sure about Paul. So uh, they come up with this idea and say, you know what, we really need to do something to appease the Jewish people. So we want you to join uh, these four men who are taking a vow. They're going to be going into the temple for, for five, seven days. We'd like for you to... Uh, Go with them, and you can show how much you still keep the law. So Paul decides to um, 
to do this vow. And I just have to tell you, I, I have um, often wondered about that, but I really saw it in new light uh, over this weekend. Um, that uh, the, the grace that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ is the gift, the gift of grace. Um, we we can do sometimes things that people will think are contrary to what, what we feel like we should do. So I want to refer to First um, um, Corinthians nine, where Paul says this about himself. I'm, refer, I'm reading First uh, Corinthians nine. Verses 19 through 23, where Paul says, For though I am, I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, and that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law towards God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with with you. So um, I don't know about you, but as, as I read this passage in the past, I've always said, well, Paul's a Christian now. Why is he still doing something that indicates he's keeping the law? And I just saw this weekend and, uh, and just reading some things that, you know what? We're, we're under grace and we can do what we're called to do for the Lord. In fact, uh, we're under grace. We can go out. In fact, Paul says, uh, shall I go on sinning that grace may abound? No, that's not what we should do, but we're, we're, we're free under, under grace to do what we, what our heart desires to do. And the real question is, are we choosing life every time we choose to do something? Because under grace, we can easily choose death and that's a destruction for ourselves and others. But Paul obviously is choosing life because he feels like here, taking this vow with these four men, that he will, um, uh, he'll, he'll win some through the process. So, um, Paul's in the temple <clears throat> with the men he comes out. And um, right away, there's some misinformation. It goes out to the crowd that uh, he's been involved with some, some Greeks. In fact, he's allowed Greeks to come into the temple, which is untrue. But um, anyway, it just shows, and then it, it stirs up a big mob. It stirs up a big crowd, and, they, and they, they, want to, they want to get a hold of Paul and kill him. And so uh, it's, a, it's a lesson to us in ter- terms of the day that we're in, right in our own country, in terms of how much misinformation can affect the crowd. So then, um, in fact, the, uh, the, the it got so violent that the uh, Roman uh, the, the Roman authorities, the Roman captain, had to come and virtually capture Paul and take him away from the crowd. But uh, the next morning, then um, um, the the Roman captain realized he's he's um, in the, in the presence of a very educated man who speaks both Hebrew and Greek, and uh, he's not some kind of a, uh, a, a, a you know, a mob leader or something. So the, the Roman uh, captain gives him an opportunity to speak to the crowd the next day, and he speaks in Hebrew, and he actually pre- presents the gospel. Um, but um, Paul uh, 
as a result of that, it really stirs up the crowd and, um, they, they still want to take his life. So once again, the Roman officer has to arrest, uh, has to, uh, capture, take him away from the crowd. It's actually the first time that Paul actually uses his citizenship to, for his, for his, uh, his advantage. And one of the things we learned from Paul here is, uh, first of all, how, how well he was prepared to be God's vessel in terms of being studied as a Pharisee, knowing Hebrew fluently and also knowing Greek. And so he's really able to be fluent in what other group he's in. And also how, and through the case of these chapters 21 through 26, and then on into 27 and 28, how much God, how much Paul uses the resources that he has, namely, namely his, uh, Roman citizenship that he depends on a few times. And so uh, one might ra- raise the question, uh, well, is he really trusting God or not? And uh, I just believe for doing this, just how much more God puts us in situations where he expects us to use the resources we have available to us and follow his direction. And as we uh, choose to glorify him in our lives, that, uh, he, he will work things out and, and walk in the steps we set for ourselves. Um, Now, um, through chapters 23 and through 26, um, as I mentioned earlier, Paul is really never on trial because the charges uh, brought against him are really not true. And in fact, Paul is not really defending himself. What he's doing is taking every opportunity he has to present the gospel to whoever the, whoever's in front of him. <clears throat> And each time, Paul really emphasizes the resurrection, and that always seems to be the thing that really um, gets their attention. And first, really, what stirs up um, the, the the animosity that somebody can be that that Jesus is actually risen from the dead. And of course, the people, especially the, the Hebrew people, that are involved in all this were were involved in Jesus' crucifixion. Um, but in so many cases through here, we see uh, Paul is just another human like you and I, that um, he, um, and there's an interesting couple of things. The, the person that's recording all this is Luke, who wrote the, the Gospel Luke. But I had never thought about this, but he must have been a companion of Paul um, from the time that Paul was saved. Maybe maybe some of the stories were related to him, but he must have been traveling been involved with Paul and Paul a number of times is in prison. One time he's in prison for two years and what a faithful person that Luke was to, um, uh, to Paul. Now there's another person who was a faithful person and that's Barnabas who, um, we, when Paul first came from Damascus after being saved and came to Jerusalem, Barnabas was really one who spoke on his behalf and, um, the um um the 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 um, 
as a result of Barnabas, really, Paul was accepted by the elders. But then we find that, um, as, as we humans do, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas get into a major uh, contention over in Acts 15 in terms of who should go on a trip. And so as a result of that contention, they split and go different ways. And we don't hear from we don't hear anything about Barnabas after that. So I wonder about that in terms of allowing our humanity to come in, whether that was uh, really the Lord. But the, the Lord, the, uh, by the grace he gives us, he, he works things out uh, to his plan. And Barnabas went on and did what he was called to do. And Paul went on without him. Um, Now, in Acts 23, um, Paul is... uh, uh, he's, he's, uh, the um, Romans give him an opportunity to actually go before the Sanhedrin. And so this is actually in Jerusalem. And um, there's another interesting story because uh, Paul, knowing, um, knowing the, the religious persuasion of different people, even, even among the Jews, that you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and so Paul he brings in the um, um, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and the Sadducees um, don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in Jesus' resurrection. Well, none of these people believe in Jesus' resurrection, but the Sadducees, Sadducees as the belief, um, don't believe in a resurrection. So as soon as Paul brought that into uh, into the discussion. Right away, there was a tremendous uh, uh, confrontation between these people, even in Sanhedrin, that the, once again, the Romans had to come and rescue Paul from his accusers. And um, so then it's decided that, um, and this is um, one time that the Jesus appears to Paul again, and, it, and it, we don't know exactly how, but it's his words there. He says, uh, Paul, uh, Paul you, you be of good cheer because uh, I've called you to bear witness to me in, in in Rome. So Paul knows where the whole thing's going to end up for him one day. Um, and so he has confidence in what he's doing. Um, another resource he used to, to uh, protect himself was um, when he's back in jail there in Jerusalem, he finds out through his own sister's son that the Jews are out. They've actually taken a, a they have a plot to kill, kill uh, Paul. And uh, so uh, Paul has uh, his sister's son go to the captain, charge there and tells him what's going on. And so um, they decide to, to, and this is the Romans now, they decide to pre- preserve Paul with great cost of soldiers and so forth. They actually move him to Caesarea for his own life. Now, um, if we come to um, chapters 24, 25, and 26, and this is all up in Caesarea now, and um, the, the names read a little bit like a, 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 a Walt Disney story. You have Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, but you have um, you have two Roman governors and one king. Now, the Roman governors are actually Felix, I believe, is the one that actually succeeded Pilate. 
who was a governor over this area, the Roman governor over the area when Jesus, he was the one that was confronted. I had to make the decision about Jesus' crucifixion. Um, so uh, Felix um, is the first one who confronted Paul, and so Paul has a great opportunity to present the gospel to him. And then uh, he has the opportunity. Then uh, after two years, Felix is replaced by Festus as a Roman governor. And um, uh, he, he also, so Paul has, has the opportunity through both the public conversations as well as private uh, conversations to present the gospel of the Festus. And a king by the name of Agrippa. Now, Agrippa is the Roman he, I'm sorry, he is the, the king over Israel. And so he's like a puppet king. The Romans are really in charge. The governors are really in charge. But uh, they keep uh, Agrippa in, in uh, places king to help relationships with the Israel, Israel uh, with the Hebrews. And it's interesting in terms of the relationship between these men because um, uh, Felix, is, a, if I'm correct on this, he's actually married to uh, a relationship to the and Agrippa himself is a part of the the, the family of the Herods um, to go back to the time we first were introduced to them back in the time of Jesus' birth. But uh, Felix is married to somebody in the family, and then um, Agrippa himself is actually Herod's son, the Herod who had James killed back in in Acts 12, and so we see the interlink between these people. So the first meeting, well, not the first meeting, but the, the first meeting for Felix, um, he actually arranges uh, after he goes to Jerusalem to, and he actually meets the high priest and everyone there. And they, and they want him. They want him to bring Paul back to Jerusalem. But Felix realizes that's not a good idea. And so he says, well, you can come to uh, uh, you can come to come and make your case in, in Caesarea. And so there's a confrontation there between. Um, Felix Agrippa, and it's quite a quite a, a display of um, of um, pomp and circumstance, and so it's a great opportunity for for Paul to present the gospel to the people assembled, and so. Um, And in this, in the conversations that go on between, um, well, the, the public conversations as well as private audiences that go on in this period of time, again, presents the gospel to both uh, Felix, excuse me, to uh, Festus and to Agrippa. And the remarks, one that uh, um, Festus says, Paul, much learning makes you mad. But in another conversation, then Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So um, with all that Paul did in this period of time, he had many opportunities to present the gospel to uh, to um, soldiers, to uh, captains and members in charge, centurions and so forth. And even to these three people in uh, Festus, Felix and Agrippa. 
And as far as I know, not, none of the, 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 doesn't ever talk about any people actually accepting the Lord during this period of time. But uh, Paul is faithful to do what he's called to do. And so I just, um, in terms of presenting this today, I just feel like um, uh, part of the lesson there for us is Paul. First of all, he's he's a man. He's uh, he's a man just like you and I. And um, he's certainly as a brilliant person in terms of using his gift, well trained. And um, but for the most part, he's a humble man. And he takes the opportunity not to defend himself or try to get free. But uh, he does uh, present the gospel. The one place, the, one, the last time that he actually that we know of that he actually uses his, his uh, Roman citizenship is uh, Festus does want to send him back down to Jerusalem, and so Paul says, uh, uh, I, "I appeal to Caesar. Let, let's let Caesar hear my case because the Jews really have no case against me." And so with that. Um, the Festus and Agrippa realized this thing's really not in their, their control anymore, but they agreed in a private conversation among themselves that if Paul had not appealed to Caesar, they could have set him free. So that's another situation for us to study in terms of uh, uh, think about. There's no, no real that, that I know of an answer there, but uh, Paul is using the resource he has, and but he also knows that the, the, the Lord has already told him that uh, he's going to be going to Rome. And so Paul certainly secures his passage to Rome as a result of appealing to Caesar. So um, we might have wondered how Paul was going to get to Rome. But uh, in the end, he got a free trip because the Romans themselves were the ones that escorted him there. And as we get into chapters uh, uh, 27 to 28, uh, they make that trip across uh, up the western side of the Mediterranean on a cross in, in, in wintertime. And, they, and, of course, they have shipwreck and so forth. And it's really, really neat, again, how God uses all those circumstances to present the gospel to the ship's crew as well as to the people on the island there who, um, first, they think that uh, um, Paul is under the uh, – uh, uh, he, he's under the spell of some god, but then when Paul – survives a, a snake bite, they realize, well, the gods must be in his favor. And so he has a tremendous influence in that community. So my good friends, I leave that with this with you today. And I think a couple of places, I just Paul's life. I always think about Romans 12, 12, where he tells us, Paul tells us to, um, in hope, rejoicing uh, and patience uh, uh, against persecution and constant in prayer. Or where he tells us in First Thessalonians 5 to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And it's really in those two scriptures, both saying the same thing, that uh, we really can trust the Lord for our own emotional and physical and heart health. And Paul certainly does that to the very end. He's faithful. And just a great story in terms of how he served the Lord. So that's my message for today. I just uh, close with a prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about Paul here this morning. Thank you for this man who wrote so much of the New Testament. He certainly was a man that uh, answered the call when you gave him the call, how he changed quickly from who he was once he got the knowledge of who you were.
So may we uh, respond in the same way in the knowledge that you've given us in terms of your death and your resurrection for us and how we have the opportunity to serve you as Paul did every day of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So Lisa, who became the sacrifice for everyone.